What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Andrew Ivins, joined, as always, on the other side by David Lake. Miami, they moved to 7-1 and on Saturday with a 25-24 win at Virginia Tech on a day where the Hurricanes were without a lot of guys, down 13 people. David, um, wasn't pretty, but a gritty win in Blacksburg. And I think Manny Diaz deserves a ton of credit right here. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, like you said, it, it wasn't pretty. But I think, you know, in 2020, you got to just value every single win. We're seeing all over the country programs who, you know, haven't won games or have significant losing records, that should not uh, be the case with them. Like programs like Michigan, Penn State, uh, lots of teams out there are struggling in 2020. This team is finding a way to win. Like you said, it, it is ugly. Um, but, you know, I and I wrote this after the game, one thing that is impressive about this team is when it is time to win, this team turns it up. This team turns it up in the fourth quarter. And to me, that matters. And that tells you that the culture of this team is in a pretty good spot. And so in that regard, I am definitely impressed by the way this team responds, fights, and competes through all four quarters. Do they always get off to the best of starts? No. But they, they know and are learning how to finish games. And I'm impressed by that. Yeah, uh, I, I talked about this last week um, when we were doing the NC State postgame podcast. You know, ESPN does their win probability. At some point in the third quarter, Virginia Tech had like an 89% chance um, of winning the game. And, and really, yeah, I think if you're a Miami fan in that second quarter when Virginia Tech goes up 14-3, to three, you're like, oh, there's no way we're winning this game. Like, this is over. Yeah, uh, and, I didn't and, feel good early. I mean, Miami's defense was on skates in that, you know, at times in that first quarter and second quarter, they really struggled with that dual threat ability. Yeah. But then they, they tightened and, and, you know, somewhat locked it down in the second half. Well, let, let's start with that defense. Um, you know, we mentioned some guys were out. There was no Gerard Harrison Hunt. There was no Zach McLeod. Um, so, and there was some, also some like personnel changes. Uh, to Corey Couch got a lot of run. Um, yeah. What do you think of that unit? They held Virginia Tech to 362 yards. They forced a turnover. Um, yes, they gave up some big plays. Hendon Hooker, I mean, he got his yards. You know, Khalil Herbert um, probably wasn't 100%. He still played. But there were some dudes, I thought, on Miami's defense that definitely deserve some credit for this win. Yeah, so I think when talking about the team as a whole defensively, I think it is important in this game to pull it back big picture and recognize, okay, what was Miami facing? What were they tasked with uh, defending and containing? And going into that game, Virginia Tech averaged 277 yards, rushing yards per game. Um, you know, that was a top five mark in the country. Going into that game, Virginia Tech had not run for less than 200 yards in a game. And, uh, this Miami defense held Virginia Tech to 160 yards, I believe, rushing yeah. in the game. So, 
you know, when you look at season averages and in terms of identity, uh, what Virginia Tech is, Miami's defense took that away over the course of four quarters. And, you know, yes, the 53-yard touchdown run by Hendon Hooker happened. You can't overlook that. Um, it was a significant play at, in the beginning of that game. But after that, I think you could argue that Miami's run defense was borderline elite, and they stepped up to the challenge. Like you said, they were shorthanded in the front seven. I think we saw, you know, honestly heroic performances by a lot of the defensive line. Quincy Roche, I don't think, came off the field. I think he played 75 snaps. Jeez. And I believe that, that was 75 snaps uh, defensively that were possible. Uh, Sam Brooks, who stepped in for Zach McLeod, played 73 snaps. So Jalen Phillips. Let me stop you right there. Is, are we, is, like, is that happening now? Like, I'm not saying like for the youth movement, but is it, is it time to just play him more? He was, he was okay. I'm, I, I mean, he, he still needs to clean some things up, right? Like, I think, it, again, it is trending in that direction. But okay. can I definitively say right now he's definitely better than Zach McLeod? I can't definitively say that. But okay. I think it, it's, it's happening, right? Yeah. Um, okay, keep going. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut, cut in. Jalen Phillips, another guy, 72 snaps. So Jalen Phillips... Only play only missed three snaps in that game. Uh, then you look at the defensive tackles, John Ford, who in my opinion was kind of an unsug hero in this game. I thought he really stepped up. I think he played his best game of the year by far against Virginia Tech. Uh, he had 52 snaps, which is a ton at, at defensive tackle. And then Nesta played 51 snaps. He he. Uh, got off to kind of a slow start, in my opinion, but he yeah. really turned it up in the second half. So, you know, those guys in the front seven, they had to shoulder a heavy workload. I personally am blown away by Jalen Phillips and his mm-hmm. cardio, like the way he can just play so hard uh, during the course of the game. And I think it says a lot that, look, when you're facing a running team, uh, you know, generally speaking, that running team has their way with you as the game progresses because a running team grinds you down during the course of the game. That was not the case on Saturday. It was Miami's defense who got better as the game wore on, and Virginia Tech's offense didn't have any answers. Hendon Hooker struggled to pass the ball when he had to make passes, when he had to make throws, he couldn't do it. And so, look, there's a lot of things to clean up in this game on both sides of the ball. But I think when you really take a step back and view and understand the context of the game, what Miami was dealing with, what they were tasked with defending, it was really a a pretty good performance uh, by the defense, in my opinion. Uh, It's a quote, uh, DJ, DJ Dallas. That's, that's Dave Feely, man. Um, Just the motor on on some of those defenders. I, I, I really thought, the entire defensive front in that fourth yeah. quarter um, found some push. That that stat line for Jalen Phillips, eight tackles, uh, four solo, two and a half sacks, four and a half tackles for loss. Um, I'm in a couple rankings group chats, and they're like, all right, this is the guy we thought he was coming out um, yeah. of high school, and he was the number one ranked player. But I, I do think you, you 
you highlighted Jonathan Ford as, as the unsung hero. I don't think we're talking about Roche enough. Um, yeah. Just his play over the past few games and, and the same with Phillips. Like, man, where would they be without those two? I'll say this about Roche. Like, did he have the flashiest game against Virginia Tech? No. But he had to go against uh, arguably the best offensive lineman in the country this season in Christian Darasaw. Uh, you know, he's grading out as the best left tackle in the country. He's probably going to be a future first round pick. So he had his hands full the entire game, never came off the field. Um, you know, Miami was missing Jafari Harvey uh, in the game. Uh, he was unavailable. So that was one defensive end that's in the rotation that they were down. Chance Williams, who might have played in the rotation if he was available, he was not available. Um, you know, Cam Williams hardly played. He played three snaps. So he played when Jalen Phillips came off the field. Again, I can't state like how ridiculous it is that Miami starting defensive ends played, you know, about 99% of the snaps <laughs> in this game against a running team with a dual threat quarterback. Yeah. Like that is, that's just, it's, it's a phenomenal performance. Again, it wasn't the cleanest performance, but the way this team competes and, and fights is elite. Um, and so I think Miami fans should, should just enjoy that for the rest of the season. The way this team plays hard, it matters. Yeah. They don't like get down and, and collapse. And I think the difference between this year's unit and defensive unit and last year's is when Miami's down 14 to three and then the offense can't respond. I think the defense kind of at some point just gave up. It seems like the defense now is fighting to keep everyone, you know, they see yeah. Derek King go down the field and make some plays. And it's like, all right, well, we're going to keep playing hard. Is like, does that like, it seems like it got into the fourth quarter and Miami just found like a different sense of energy or, or, or whatnot. And then yeah. if you follow some of these players on social media and stuff, like they're going wild after the game. And I'm, everyone does that after you win, you know, any game, but like, it seems sure. like it matters a lot to them. And I don't think it's been like that for a while here at Miami. One of the big keys of this 2020 season for Manny Diaz, you could argue the biggest key was getting the culture on point. And, you know, some, some of you listening might roll your eyes to that, but culture matters at the college level. It doesn't matter at the professional level necessarily because, you know, guys are paid, uh, you know, they're expected to uh, handle things professionally because they're getting paid to. At the college level, your culture matters, and your culture sets the tone for how hard guys play, how diligent they are in preparation each week, et cetera, et cetera. So, yes, they added a quarterback. Yes, they added a new offense this year. But really, the bottom line of the season was about uh, improving the culture, which was horrendous in 2019, let's yeah. be real. And there was many reasons for that. Uh, but that needed to be fixed. And I think you could make an argument that this 2020 season with all the challenges and all the stuff each team has to go through. And there are many different levels, just, you know, being on point with your testing, uh, having players that are mature enough to try and avoid the virus, all that stuff. 
this 2020 season magnifies and amplifies what your culture is about. It is hard to win games in 2020, and this Miami team is finding a way. And the culture is getting to a point, I think, where Manny Diaz would be comfortable with it. Uh, I, I'm not ready to say it, it's, it's going to be rolling downhill yet. It is improving, and that's a, that's a big thing for this Miami football program. I mean, that's what that, – that is my – and I texted you that, that this, and I had numerous conversations with people yesterday. Manny Diaz deserves a ton of credit for playing eight games into the season. Miami-Dade County right now yeah. is a COVID hotspot, and it has been a COVID hotspot since March. Um, and, you know, we don't really know what happened – at different points over the summer. But the fact that Miami has played eight games, haven't had any games delayed. Um, sure, there's been a few different position groups out due to what we would assume positive tests or contact tracing. But the fact that they have navigated this and fielded a competitive team is pretty dang amazing to me because I just go back in my head to that three-game skid to end last season. Um, I, I, I think he deserves a ton of credit and for Miami fans or supporters to be sitting here and, you know, kind of un, unhappy with the, the seven and one record. It's ridiculous. Like what, what do you guys want them to do? They're recruiting well. Um, they're getting the job done. Yeah. Every change that he has made has paid off um, from the quarterback to the kicker. Uh, it's, it's been impressive. Um, yeah. Miami's not at the point from a pure talent and depth standpoint where they're just going to flip a switch uh, and go from being a six and seven team to a, you know, 12 and 0 team that's competing for championships. And I, Miami is one of these programs where that kind of is expected, not only with the fan base, but I feel like also national media unfairly holds Miami to their, you know, Miami standard year in, year out. I think, like, why can't Miami be expected to build, right? Like, Miami has to build. They can't flip a switch and, right. and get to that point. So I think that building process is happening this year. Um, and so, you know, we'll see how they close out the season. They certainly need to still finish strong. But if they do, this season is an unmitigated success. And uh, you're right. Manny Diaz deserves credit for how he's – uh, made changes to the program since 2019 and navigated this season. All right, let's take a quick break. Um, got plenty more to get into. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. David, uh, we've gone about 20 minutes, I think, and we haven't even mentioned Derek King's name. Um, but before I get to the offense, one other guy on defense that I think needs some praise to Corey Couch. Um, did he have, did he, yeah. was he in the starting lineup? Like, was this his first career yeah. start? I know they said that on the radio. He started. Just, okay. Yep. He started over Al Blades. And, um, you know, I remember the, one of the podcasts going in this, you, you asked me, is he the answer? And I, I, you know, wasn't sure if he's better than Al Blades or DJ Ivy. Well, I think it's fair to say he's, he's probably better than, than those guys right now. Um, he's clearly the most poised in coverage. Like he, he doesn't, uh, like he, he understands how to turn and find the ball while he's in coverage. And he's also, you know, he's small but he's feisty against the run. So he gets it done in that regard. And for whatever reason, it kind of makes no sense, but he is effective as a blitzer. I know. Uh, I know. In the nickel. So let me, let me read the stat line. Five tackles, half a sack, half a tackle for loss, quarterback hurry, and uh, an interception. And then on that sack, when he made it, like he had this dance afterwards that was just cracking me up. Like, cause he's, I mean, he can't be more than 160 pounds, right? Yeah, he's very thin. He was so, according to PFF, he was targeted four times. He allowed one reception for seven yards. Oh, dude! And is, uh, he had an is... interception and a pass breakup. So, yeah, he he's definitely not losing his starting spot anytime soon, and that is a huge development for Miami with games like. Wake Forest and North Carolina on the horizon. So, have, have you yeah. seen a, a PFF kind of coverage grade for Miami Defender since you started sus- subscribing and paying to PFF? Uh, I don't know to be honest. I mean, that does happen from time to time, but he was certainly he was certainly very impressive in coverage. Um, there's no doubt about that. You know, no, I. There are I, I can't explain what's happening to Bubba Bolden. Um, he's just not the same player that he was. Yeah. You know, against Florida State and Clemson, he was trending to be one of the best safeties in the country, quite frankly, with all the plays he was making. Um, it, it hasn't really uh, that that trend has not continued. It's gone the other direction for whatever reason, but Hopefully he regains his confidence because to me, he just seems like timid he's playing tentative. Yeah. Or timid. And it's not him at, you know, Clemson and Florida state. He was playing so fast, even Louisville. I mean, he, he wasn't great in coverage, you know, matching up against Tutu Atwell, but he was making a ton of tackles in space that, you know, isn't happening at the moment. He needs to get back to being that guy. I think he can be. But for whatever reason, it's just not happening for him right now. Okay. Let's get into the offense. Uh, 
Um, Ja'Kai Clark didn't travel, so that put Usman Traore into the starting lineup. Um, how many sacks did this group give up? I don't even have it in front of me. Six. Yeah, it was not. It was not good. Um, they tried a throwback pass to Zion Nelson for a two-point conversion. I would leave that play um, in the dumpsters behind somewhere in Blacksburg. <laughs> that was terrible. Uh, but this unit struggled, and I we kind of thought at yeah. this point in the schedule they would be maybe taking steps forward. And I get it. I'm assuming it's been pretty difficult to to practice due to injury That's, or whatnot. Yeah. And you got to give them credit for even having five guys that can play. Um, But man, there was, there was some bad moments. Yeah. I mean, and I think you, you touched on, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of, I I think practicing is probably tough right now uh, for the offensive line. But with that being said, when you play games, you got to perform. So it's a difficult situation, but the performance was not good enough. And it, it was pretty clear during the course of that game, when Virginia Tech got Miami in third and long situations, they were going to stress the interior of the offensive line. So Traor was, you know, a new starter. He hadn't really played much since that UAB game. Uh, you know, DJ Scaife, for whatever reason, had a really poor performance uh, in, in pass protection. Corey Gaynor, you know, up and down, uh, was, was not good in, with run blocking. But it just seemed like there wasn't much continuity uh, with those three guys in particular throughout the day. You know, whether it was delayed blitzes that Virginia Tech was hitting them with or stunts, you know, twist game up front. Uh, the defensive tackles, the interior pass rush for Virginia Tech kind of did what they wanted. And that was surprising because – Honestly, that's like the weakness of their defensive line, the interior. So not a good sign in that regard. And then honestly, too, you know, Derek King, he did make plays, but it wasn't the greatest performance from him either. I think a lot of that was due to the interior pass rush, that push up front. I think any quarterback will tell you when they get push up the middle, it is the hardest thing to deal with, much yeah. harder to deal with than pr- pressure off the edges. And, you know, those looks were giving Derek T- King a lot of issues uh, during the course of the game. So um, Miami ne- needs to sure things up in, in the middle of the offensive line moving forward. I'm not sure what changes can be made because now, you know, a lot of these guys are in uh, protocols, whether it's positive tests or contact tracing. So this might be the group uh, moving forward for for the time being, um, but they they definitely do need to get better. Uh, and I think the two guys that were getting much of that pressure, I mean, you know, they sent a bunch of backers, but Mario Kendricks and Norrell Pollard, uh, two of Virginia Tech's interior defensive linemen, both Sunshine State natives out of the Orlando area. So it just kind of goes into that theme of um, Hewitt play- too. Hewitt came is from Venice. He led them in sacks and Isn't, pressures. Damn, my yeah, he's from my, Venice. That's my girlfriend's uh, alma mater. Didn't even know that. Yeah. So all these Florida guys, you know, and to your point that you're going to make, like, they just step up against Miami. I, I know. And it's like, has Miami ever had a players like step up in their own home state? I maybe, I don't <laughs> I, like, we'll wait for the Georgia tech gamer. 
something like that. Um, sticking with the offense, I thought D Wiggins, or I'll just say this as a whole, this receiver group, right? Brevin Jordan comes yeah. back. He only catches two passes. Like it seems like right. not too long ago, the offense went through Brevin Jordan, but D Wiggins, eight catches, 106 yards. Mike Harley, six catches, 51 yards. Mark Pope, four catches, 50 yards. Like, I, I mean, I got to eat some crow here. Like these guys have stepped up, um, yeah, and they are, and they made tough catches. Right, right. This was yeah. the, as a whole unit. This could have been one of their best games of the season. I, I, I would argue that. Yeah. So Virginia Tech did a good job uh, defending the deep shots and man to man. They ran with the the receivers and you know made made plays you know with poise, knocking balls away. So. Miami had to start going to the slant game, right? And that's that's how they were able to move the ball through the air, which means your receivers better be ready to catch some balls in traffic. And for the most part, they were up for the challenge. Uh, you know, all those guys, quite frankly, D. Wiggins, Mark Pope, uh, Mike Harley, made tough catches over the middle. Now, D. Wiggins did drop a, you know, what probably would have been, honestly, a touchdown early in the game. But... He did bounce back big time, uh, had a career game over 100 yards. Uh, he made tough catches after that drop. So um, you're right. This group is stepping up. You know, Jeremiah Payton even made some, some catches on the sideline early in the game. They didn't go for big yardage, but it was good to see him get going a little bit in regards to getting his confidence going. I do wish they got Brevin going a little more than they did. He was targeted maybe three or four times. He was targeted three times. He caught two passes for 22 yards, one of which was on that trick play uh, at the start of the game. So uh, moving forward, I would like to see him be more of a weapon, of course. Um, But yeah, the wide receiver group keeps stepping up. Mark Pope, good to see him come up with the the play of the game at the end there. He's definitely, you know, he said leading up to the game, I feel like I'm Mark Pope again. I think that's definitely true, right? Like he is looking more confident, more like the Mark Pope we know from high school. I wish he had said, I'm feeling like noodles again. That's like, (laughs) that would have me really amped. I'd be like, all right, like, okay. But yeah, I mean, you know, look, as these receivers continue to, Uh, produce defenses are going to adjust to that I think we started to see that against Virginia Tech and the receivers responded so you know the next step is hopefully the running backs can step up I don't know if that (laughs) I um, I'm having less confidence about that to be honest but um, it is good to see the the receivers stepping up um let's let's pivot over to special teams I got I got a bunch of questions and thoughts for you what did you think of the the fake field goal call here's my thing i don't mind i i did not mind the fake call but i didn't like the play design i didn't i don't understand what it is like what like do you think they it was an option for borgas to pitch the ball back to headley because it, it kind of seemed like Headley was was trailing him. It could have been a pitch option. But Borgas never looked at that. So I don't know if if that was an option. But yeah, I mean, you know, 
Borgales not necessarily like the most athletic kicker. So, yeah. and how many yards to go was it? It was like three or four yards, right? Like, yeah. or was it super close? Um, but yeah, I mean, again, I don't mind going for it. It's just that play call, that play design to me was off. Right. And if that's your option or just keeping Derek King on the field, I would rather just keep Derek King on the field. I like the aggressive nature. Terrible, yeah. terrible play design. I don't think there was like a mis-execution either. Like it just wasn't going to work. Yeah. So Yeah, Virginia Tech clearly knew something was coming. I mean, they were there. So take that play with the throwback to Zion <laughs> and just behind the dumpster of wherever they stayed in, in Blacksburg or Roanoke or <laughs> wherever. Um, I got I to gotta bring this up. Xavier over Strepo. Muffing a punt. Uh, yeah. Thankfully... Re- recovering it um what are we doing here yeah i mean and you know after that they they went to gervin hall the rest of the game right and and even he like double clutched some of those (laughs) uh fair catches but yeah i mean you know for whatever reason the guys are nervous uh fielding punts this year dude they're they're nervous Uh, david there was like less than a thousand people there i know oh i know it makes no sense uh, but yes, I mean, Miami is, I will say this in 2021, give me Malik Curtis all day, the high school commitment who has returned Dude. a ton of punts for touchdowns during his high school career. So here's, here's what you do. You take Malik Curtis when he arrives in June or I, I don't even know if he's an early enrollee. Yeah. You introduce him to Lou Headley and be like, Hey, every time Lou Headley punts, like his punting right. session, you just go and shag balls. Like that is correct. Correct. In all kinds of weather, like just go shag balls. Would you make like what change would you make in in the immediate future? Like what what would be your solution there? I would I would find the the most the guy I feel the most confident about. I I don't know. I don't know who I'd put there. I mean, I've seen a ton of these guys return punts and in high school, I, I think you need an offensive guy. I do not like the safety back there. That to me is just what about uh, like I'm sure they're I'm sure he's doing it in practice. Um, but like Jalen Knighton, like to me yeah. is a confident freshman. He's you, done it, you, I believe, in high school. Yeah. And you know, but again, I'm sure he's doing it in practice and they're watching him in practice, so maybe it's not clean in practice. But I also too would just say you know, th- maybe throw Mike Harley back there and that's, just say, hey, Mike, fair catch that, it every time. Like, we don't want you getting hurt, that's so just one. fair catch it. That's the one I was going to say. Um, okay, done, done ranting about my uh, <laughs> specialty. Oh, well, no, one more. Like, Lou Headley, man. I mean, we talk about how yeah. Miami needs to get um, Derek King back in 2021. Like Jose Borregales and Lou Headley are, I mean, they do not win the game without those two. Lou Headley, two field goals uh, along a 42, or Borregales, excuse me. And then Borgales, Lou Headley, yeah. Lou Headley, seven punts, averaging 52.4 yards. He is unreal. Yeah. I mean, when you face teams that run the ball, when that is their identity, you need very good special teams, right? You need a punter that can flip the field and make those teams have to go further and further and further. And, you know, in the fourth quarter, he pinned how many balls around the 10 yard line. Um, so yeah, that, that hidden yardage battle, it's, it's significant. It's big in these games. And, 
you could argue, you know, this was a one point margin. You know, how much did the the, the performances of of Borigalis and Headley uh, contribute to that one point margin? I think you could make the argument it, it was pretty significant. Anything else you got? I guess what? Okay, how many, how many, big picture wise. Uh, that's what I was going to get into. What is your expectation moving forward? Right? Do you? So I think before this season, we all we all at Inside the U uh, predicted an eight and three season. Are you ready to say nine and two yet? Yeah, I think they go two and one over this um, final three. I think that's a fair expectation too, and that's a good season, correct? Yeah, think about it like this, man. Miami has won three road games. They've also won back-to-back games where they've trailed in the fourth quarter. Like, mm-hmm. I what? I mean, you're winning football games. Like, I, 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 it would be a heck of a season, I think. Yeah, I mean, Miami. You know, Miami once went six and seven last year. They've already topped that uh, win total through eight games in 2020. You know, being seven and one. So. Yeah, I'm with you. If, if Miami goes nine and two, um, to me that's a great year. I don't think ten and one's out of the question, but that's going to be tough. I think you know whether it's Wake Forest or North Carolina. Like, don't sleep on Wake Forest. I know right. it's not a name brand college football team, but they are slinging it around, and their offense is pretty scary. Yeah, I think those two games, Wake and North Carolina, Miami's going to have to score a ton of points because I think the defense. Yeah. You know, is going to give up yards. Uh, but like you said, to Corey Couch is playing better. Hopefully you get some guys back. And then, you know, you would have to think with this Georgia Tech game. Um, you think they play like this week? Oh, is that in question? I didn't even know that. Well, Georgia Tech and Pittsburgh had to cancel their game on Saturday. Dude, uh, and it was, it was COVID and contact tracing in both those programs. So Georgia Tech's dealing with it too. We know Miami, you know, barely was able to field the team. So I, I'm curious to see if, if they play Georgia Tech this week or if they push that back to, what, December 12th. So Do you, do you want to play if you're Miami? I think you want to play, right? I think you want to play. Yeah, yeah. You want to re- play. Re- revenge spot? Like, I don't know. I mean, for some of these guys, not, you know, Quincy Roche. It's a game they should win. The only, the only thing I would say is, you know, I mentioned – earlier in the podcast how you know the snap counts for those front seven guys were significant so how beat up are those guys after that virginia tech game so maybe a bye week a pseudo bye week would be a good thing to heal up but you know miami should be able to handle georgia tech in theory but like you said that was kind of the case last year too and somehow miami lost to that georgia tech team but uh i i do think overall you want to play this game this week if you're miami Gotcha. Well, guys, uh, that will do it for this Sunday morning uh, edition of the podcast. We will be back. I mean, we're going to talk about something regardless if Miami plays or not. Yeah. I, I would think they're going to play, but you, I, I mean, it was a late cancellation on that game, so it wasn't like a Monday right. or anything like that. So that's a good point there, David. Yeah, and I will say this. Georgia Tech 2 was coming off a bye. So, you know, have they been dealing with COVID for longer than we realize? Maybe. So maybe that means they'll be, they'll be getting guys back this week is what I'm saying with all the timeline stuff. So 
we're not saying that the game's going to get canceled, but it is something to monitor. Put it on your radars. All right, guys, please like, rate, review. Give us those five stars. We will talk to you next time. Take care, guys.